Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, right where I belong, doing tons and tons of comedy stuff around here lately. There isn't really that much poker news to share right off the top here. So let me just start off by saying I want to thank each and every one of you who have given us that coveted five-star rating on Spotify. It means so much to all of us here at TPE. It really makes a difference. And guys, we have something like 75 five-star ratings right now and zero ratings of less than five stars. So we want to thank each and every one of you who have done that. And if you happen to be listening on Spotify right now and you enjoy our work, please do us a favor and just click that five star rating on Spotify. You don't have to type in how much you love me or how great the show is or how it changed your life for the better. All you have to do is click the five stars and that's it. So uh, we really appreciate it. And I want to thank those of you who have done so already and strongly beg and plead those of you who haven't to do so at this time. All right, well, there's a little bit of sad news for those who are frequent guests of the World Series of Poker. Uh, All-American Dave's is no more. For those who don't know, All-American Dave's was a food truck that used to park right outside the area where the tournament was held at the Rio Convention Center. And basically, players could get relatively healthy food delivered to the table from this very high quality food truck with organic ingredients and smoothies and things that poker players like when they're trying to crush souls and ruin lives without gaining 50 to 60 pounds over the course of a summer of not moving because you sit at a table for 12 hours a day. So Dave is a great guy. Um, I never bought the package where for two thousand dollars you could get sixteen hundred dollars worth of food or something like that uh because i didn't really utilize uh dave's services that often but every time i did i was happy um the food was great the service was impeccable and dave you will be missed apparently it has something to do with unions and whether they would be allowed to park a food truck outside of uh, what is now known as bally's Las Vegas, soon to be renamed the Horseshoe, as our regular listeners already know. So yeah, it's just a sad day for poker and for the World Series of poker, because All-American Dave, you will never be replaced, and you will always be missed. R.I.P. Food Truck. All right, so that's enough of that. I want to start off with an email that I received Uh, My preferred method of communication, by the way, is Twitter, at Clayton Comic. And if you email me or use any other method of reaching me, you actually have a lower chance of having your question answered on the podcast. But I did happen to catch one from a listener named Dan Spicer. Starts off strong. I'm an avid listener and big fan I try to incorporate what I hear on the almighty TPE podcast into my game. All right, so starting off with a really strong 
very well-worded compliment uh, might actually help you get on the podcast, even if you choose to email rather than tweet. Now, Dan's question is, basically, he's going to be in town for one week. It's the same week as The Millionaire Maker, the week of June 18th. And his question is, what should I play? He names a few tournaments that are going on in town and also references my friend Bart Hansen, who says that he doesn't like to play in the really big field events like The Millionaire Maker and some of the other gigantic field tournaments that will be happening this summer. Um, yeah, so the bottom line is Dan would like to know where will the, all the pros be playing on Saturday, June 18th in Vegas this year? I'll play where they aren't. Well, Dan, if I knew where all the great players are going to be, I also would go somewhere else. <laughs> but joking aside, it depends on what you're, what you're hoping to achieve. You know, I mean, there are plenty of smaller buy-ins around town, even in the summertime. There are plenty of smaller fields and plenty of places where you can virtually guarantee you won't be seated next to anyone named Negranu or Hansen, for that matter. Looking at the spreadsheet provided for the poker community by the great Kenny Hallert. I mentioned this last week, but if you're not following Spacey FCB on Twitter, I don't know what your problem is. You need to follow Kenny and get all the updates. The most recent update to this spreadsheet was done last week. So just looking at June 18th, yeah, of course we have the Millionaire Maker. There is an $1,100 buy-in at the win on the same day. It starts at noon and the guarantee there is $200,000. Uh, there's a $600 tournament at the Venetian that has a guarantee of $100,000. And there's a little something going on at the Aria, which is a $400 buy-in with a $50,000 guarantee. There's a mystery bounty event at the Golden Nugget if you feel like venturing downtown with a guarantee of $250,000 and multiple, and I mean multiple, starting flights. Uh, day two of that one is going to be on Monday, June 20th. So yeah, mystery bounty fever in full effect. And that's just a quick look at the schedule on that particular day. All you really need to do is download this spreadsheet, which again, you can find on twitter.com slash And you can read every tournament that's happening at all the major casinos that have poker uh, on any day that you're coming all summer long. Based on what you're saying though, I think the softest field that we mentioned here is likely to be the Golden Nugget, or the Venetian. The other events have much larger expected field sizes, much, much larger prize pools, especially, obviously, the Millionaire Maker. So if you are trying to avoid having to play against any top pros, I think the Venetian may well be your best bet on that day. That said, I've played the Millionaire Maker every single year since it first started, and I can assure you there are plenty of spots, if you get lucky enough with your table draw, that is, there are plenty of spots around the room occupied what I guess you could call dreamers, players who are trying to turn 1500 into 1 million. And even if you look at last year's millionaire maker final table, it wasn't exactly a murderer's row of household names from the poker world. 
and that is true each and every year in the Millionaire Maker. These weekend large field gimmicky tournaments, the ones with cute names like the Millionaire Maker or the Monster Stack, to name two, they tend to attract the weekend warrior types. Guys like yourself, uh, no offense, Dan, but people who aren't going to be there for the whole summer, they, they target these events. These events are marketed towards them. And if you have the bankroll for it, I would still recommend playing in the Millionaire Maker because the field as a whole will not be overrun with top tournament pros as seen on PokerGo and other outlets. So that's just my two cents. Definitely appreciate the email and definitely want to hear from the rest of you on Twitter, Clayton Comic. Let me know what you are most excited to play this summer as we all start to count the days until the start of the Vegas summer without the mask mandate. All right, I want to continue our review of last year's World Series of Poker main event. Uh, on our last episode, we talked about hands that were played at Doyle Brunson's table. This week, I want to talk about hands that were played the next day on day C, 2, C, D, F, or whatever the heck it was. It was so confusing last year as they had to uh, change the schedule and allow the Europeans to play on the first day that they were allowed to fly to America. As you all probably remember by now, I'm not going to get back into all of that, but they had two different day twos as they always do, but the letters were a bit, let's just say, awkward. Uh, so this hand comes from uh, day two CDF or whatever, the one that was the second of the two day twos. Uh, and, and the action begins with my friend Chris Moneymaker, 2003 World Series of Poker main event champ and big stand-up comedy fan, Chris Moneymaker, uh, two folds to him. The blinds are 600-1200 with a 1200 ante. So we are kind of late on day two. And in third position, Moneymaker opens to 2800. I'm not going to tell you what he had in his hand just yet, but let's just say there were two folds to Chris Moneymaker and with a very healthy 171,000 in his stack about the time when the average was around 100,000-ish, uh, he opens to 2,800. In the hijack is an Irish pro by the name of Eric Inderidin. I don't know. I'm sorry if I said it wrong. But Eric has about 125,000 in his stack, and he calls. Now the cutoff folds, and on the button is another friend of mine, J.J. Lieberman, who is one of the very few stand-up comedians I know that actually can play poker a little bit. So J.J. is a you know really good comedian and a pretty decent poker player too. Plays a good amount online, uh, definitely knows his way around the poker table, and very comfortable kind of chatting it up with the other players. Having J.J. at your table... Uh, if you have a headache, is going to make your headache worse. But if you show up in a good mood, JJ is likely to put a, a smile on your face with his over-the-top style of comedy antics. So JJ is on the button. Now again, it has gone raised by Moneymaker from early position and then call from the hijack 
And now Lieberman on the button with Ace of Clubs, Queen of Diamonds, and 45,600 chips in his stack. So what should we do as Lieberman here? Uh, our M is 15. We have 38 big blinds, if you prefer. So we're not exactly in dire straits. Uh, we don't necessarily have to go broke with this hand. Uh, we do have less than one half of an average stack, which is not a good feeling halfway through day two of the main event. Uh, the pot right now contains 8,600, and Lieberman again has 45,600. So I think the best play here is to three bet. Uh, you could just flat call, but you know now you're going to see a flop with ace queen off suit with several opponents. The good news is you'll be on, on the button, so you have position on everybody. I just feel like ace queen is a little too strong to call with and so I would opt for a three bet. I would probably make it something like 11,000 and then you know if things go crazy uh, behind me either in the blinds or if moneymaker keeps raising I can start to think about getting away from my hand. Now you hate to put in 11,000 of your 45,000 chips and have to fold with 25% of your stack already in the middle uh, that is not ideal, but let's be honest, it's not going to happen that often. Uh, our three bet will show tremendous strength when we are putting that raise in after the uh, open from Chris Moneymaker, who's actually pretty tight and he's in early position and has already been called by someone else. So it's not exactly easy for Moneymaker to get all in or to keep raising anyway with a hand like Pocket Jacks or pocket tens. I mean, most of his four betting range is going to be very big hands, ace king, pocket aces, pocket kings, uh, mostly pocket kings because we block aces and queens, but certainly queens can consider putting in the four bet as well. I don't expect Moneymaker to get out of line with king jack or anything else like that. So I would be pretty ready to give up on this hand if my three bet got raised especially with more players yet to act, whether by the blinds or by moneymaker. So that would be my strategy here. You could also call. I don't like folding, but I also don't like the decision that my friend JJ made in this hand. He just rips it in. He puts the whole 45,600 right there in the middle. So let's look at the numbers on this a little bit and explain why I'm not a big fan of this move by J.J. Lieberman. So first off, we're putting in 45,600 to win 8,600, assuming a big part of the reason why we're making this play is because of the fold equity, right? So we're laying almost 5.5 times the pot to increase our stack by less than 19%. Those numbers work together. The more you lay, the less you're going to increase your stack when you take it down. I mean, it's certainly not hopeless. An ace-queen is a above-average hand for sure, right? We know this. But what gives us action on a shove? I mean, it's such a big bet. We're putting in more than five times the pot. And I don't expect to get called by ace-jack ever, king-queen ever. Uh, these hands have an easy fold. And anytime you make a play that allows your opponents 
to play perfectly against you, you're not actually making any money in theory. Now, I would make this play with an M of 8 or 9, like if I had 20, 25 big blinds, I think it's a pretty easy shove because then you're not laying so much. And when you do take it down, you increase your stack by a much higher percentage in that case. But our stack is just too big, in my opinion, to put it all in here with ace-queen. Now, to be fair to JJ, because like I say, he is my friend and I don't want to you know, destroy him on my podcast, I would say that this play becomes more attractive if the players who have already entered the pot are somehow extra loose. Now, Moneymaker doesn't tend to play a loose wild style. He tends to lay back and wait for good opportunities. And I would put a lot of respect on the fact that he is raised from third position. I don't know Eric Indereden, or even if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but if, for example, he's been incredibly loose and Moneymaker's been getting out of line because the table is relatively passive, yada yada, he's trying to bully everybody, then three betting does become a lot more attractive. But even then, guys, I don't think there's any reason to make it more than ten or 11000 And yeah, sometimes you'll get called by, you know, who knows, a hand like maybe pocket eights that doesn't want to keep raising but also doesn't want to fold. And then you can play in position with an SPR of less than two heads up against, with any luck, just one opponent. So I really don't like this play because it just seems like the risk to reward ratio is a bit off. I mean, we're sticking in so much to win relatively little. Now, increasing our stack by about 19% is not nothing. I mean, certainly that is a pretty decent haul for those times that we take it down. But to me, the problem becomes when we get called, it's always going to be by a hand that has us beat. I don't think that we'll ever get called by ace-jack or king-queen or king-jack or king-ten. And most of the pairs that call will be bigger pairs like kings and jacks. And although we call it a coin flip, ace-queen versus pocket-jacks is not really a coin flip. The jacks are about 57% in that scenario. So it's not ideal to just shove here and hope to win the 8,600 or to have to win a quote-unquote coin flip when we're actually a little bit behind. So I'm not even sure if this is a profitable play. It, it can't be very negative, right? I mean, it, mostly you're going to take it down and, and increase your stack by 19%, but your equity when called is going to be relatively low. And so for me, it's hard to show much of a profit because the range that can give us action is so strong. Case in point, uh, in the small blind, uh, you know, the small blind happens to wake up with ace king suited and shoves over the top. Uh, but then in the big blind, Jeremy Kotler, who has pocket nines, folds without a second thought because look at what's happened in front of him. It's gone raise and then call and then shove and now re-raise shove. So obviously nines shrivel up, although at that exact moment they were the best hand. Uh, Moneymaker, by the way, had opened originally with the King Jack of Diamonds, so King Jack suited, and then he had gotten flat called by King Queen of Clubs. So at the moment when my friend JJ made his play, he had both of his opponents in really bad shape with Ace-Queen. 
but it's really about what the blinds happen to wake up with in this scenario. To me, too much can go wrong and not enough can go right. And the levels in this tournament are two hours long. There's no reason to shove all in with an M of 15 and ace-queen offsuit, in my humble opinion. Let me know what you guys think. Do we like the shove? Do we hate the shove? Or do we think the shove is just okay? And let's do one more. This one comes from Phil Helmuth's table. The biggest problem for me with Phil Helmuth is that whenever he is playing, there are cameras on him. So sometimes you end up watching a table that you'd rather not watch just because Mr. Television is always on television anytime he's in action. So, of course, Poker Go, I guess a lot of their viewers want to watch Phil Helmuth play. I personally, I love Phil. I've met him a few times. He's actually way nicer in person than he ever is when the cameras are rolling because it's basically an act that he plays to be the poker brat, except that he does get very competitive at the poker table. But if you hang out with Phil Helmuth away from the poker table, you would probably not recognize him except for the fact that his look is so distinctive. So we're going to a, a different table, but the same blind, 600, 1200, and 1200. And the action folds to a player named Zhang in the hijack. He's Chinese. I don't have his first name in front of me, and I am sorry about that. But he's in the hijack, and he makes it 2700. I don't want to reveal his hand just yet. He's got 135,000 behind, so he's in great shape at this point. The cutoff folds, and now on the button is the aforementioned poker brat, Phil Helmuth, and he has the ace of clubs, deuce of clubs, and 119,000 chips behind. So now I pick these two hands because it's a great way to juxtapose the different decisions we have to make depending on our stack sizes in different spots in tournaments when we have a playable hand on the button facing a raise. So in this situation, a late position open, not like the other hand where the open came from third position. This one, it's the hijack who opened. And now Helmuth on the button with a playable ace-deuce suited in clubs. Now Helmuth can certainly three-bet here, but of course he's not going to go all in because he's got like a 100 times the big blind. His M is 40. It would be absolutely ridiculous to shove here. So what is the right stack for shoving? I think it's an M of around six or seven if no one has called the raise yet. You just three-bet shove and hope to take it down. But if you get called, then you've got a playable hand that's not hopeless. Actually, no one's ever drawing dead before the flop. Always remember that. But yeah, Helmuth decides to just flat call, which is typically how he plays. He likes to play the smallest pots possible in the main event. And there's a lot of merit to that, too. You know, lower variance. He considers himself the best player in the world. Certainly the best player in this field. But probably he would still say that if he's not the best player in the world, he's among them. And he would point to all of his, I think, 16 bracelets he has now. So it's kind of hard to argue with the amount of success he's had in the World Series of Poker. Uh, so, yeah, his philosophy is generally just to call, keep the pot small, and see what happens. I don't mind calling here with ace do suited, but I think that mixing in some raises into your overall strategy when you're deep stacked, 100 big blinds, and actually the original raiser has us covered, one thing that can do for us is could get the blinds 
to fold hands that they may otherwise have called. And also, we will sometimes take it down, which isn't a disaster with just ace-deuce, right? So I like raising here. Maybe you can make it, well, the open was to 2,700. No one called yet. Yeah, you could just make it like 75 or 8,000 and many times take it down before the flop, especially if your opponents fear the fact that you are the almighty poker brat. Again, calling is fine, but I kind of prefer raising at least most of the time. Anyway, Helmuth does just flat call. And again, I have not yet revealed what the original Razor has. The small blind calls, and I don't want to reveal his hand either, but he also has a lot of chips. He's got 133,000, so over 100 big blinds. And now a player named Vanderloo in the big blind, holding the king of diamonds, six of hearts, decides to fold, getting about seven to one on a call. I mean, that has to be a mistake, right? Maybe it's not, but yeah, I'm not usually folding uh, a king, even if I just had a king and a blank card with it. I think getting seven to one, you want to go ahead and call and see a flop. But then again, I've been known to get in trouble in the blind, so don't ask me. Anyway, there is now 10,500 in the middle and three to the flop, and it comes queen of diamonds, five of clubs, tray of hearts. So, queen, five, tray, rainbow, and Helmuth, hero in this hand, holding the ace of clubs, deuce of clubs. Well, both players check to Helmuth, and he decides to put in a bet of 5,200, and both players fold. Look, you guys, you can't let Phil Helmuth get away with this stuff all the time. This is why he loves playing in these big field tournaments with a lot of amateur opponents. Now, uh, in this hand, the original Razor, Zhang, actually held the Ace of Hearts, Deuce of Hearts. So he had essentially the same hand as Helmuth. The small blind had the Ace of Diamonds, Six of Diamonds. So all three players in this hand holding suited Aces. But yeah, I mean, I think in Zhang's shoes, you have to do something more creative than that. The small blind checks, and now we have an overcard, and a gut shot, and a backdoor flush draw. That is too much hand to fold to Phil Helmuth, in my opinion. I would prefer going for a check raise sometimes. You could even just call if you want to go, you know, keep the pot small or whatever. But yeah, there are so many good cards for us on the turn that I would take that 5,200. And then the small blind folds, so you know it's just you and Phil left. Go ahead and make it 15,000 or maybe even a little bit less. 13,5 should do the trick when Helmuth has nothing. We all know that he loves to fold and doesn't like to play big pots. And the way to exploit that is to find spots to check raise. Now, what are you repping on Queen 5 Trey Rainbow? I don't know, but you have so many barrel cards on the turn. So again, we have the Ace Deuce of Hearts. And we are the original raiser. Now, I understand you don't want a continuation bet into two opponents. But you can't just check and fold, in my opinion. It's a pretty easy call or raise situation. You can peel and then maybe donk lead the turn when you pick up equity. Like, for example, if another heart comes off or if you make a pair of deuces, something like that, you can go ahead and bet the turn. Uh, or you can just check raise it right now. I guess the real point I'm trying to make is I don't know what Zhang's reasoning was for checking and folding on this board. 
But I hope it didn't have anything to do with the fact that he's intimidated by the poker brat. Look, guys, if you're going to play the main event, there is a chance you're going to end up sitting with someone you've seen play on television. You still have to play good, solid, fundamental poker. You're deep stacked. You've got a gut shot and a backdoor flush draw and an overcard. You cannot check and fold just because Phil Helmuth bets half the pot. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please be sure to give us that all-important five-star rating on Spotify or a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It just means the world to all of us who are here trying to build this podcast and keep it going and keep bringing you this free content week in and week out. Also, if you're still looking for a poker website where you can learn how to play tournament pokers like some of the best in the business, I'm talking Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Colin Moshman, and so many more, you can visit TournamentPokerEdge.com and use the code PODCAST at checkout and you'll save $10 off your first month's membership. So for everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, wow